Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Well, 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 my friends, episode 117, Agitators Anonymous, welcome my fine feathered friends, the world is on fire and no one can save me but you, indeed, indeed, I'm Alan Averill, the singer in a heavy metal band, Trying to make some sense of things that I do not understand. Episode 117. Get off the fence, you cuck. My friend said to me jokingly in rehearsal the other month and it stuck in my head. And I thought, well, the fence is sometimes a rather good place to sit because it means you can observe both sides. But I understood what he meant. He meant let the gun out of the holster sometimes. Well, my friends... Well, my friends, is it really advised? But what is life if not performing and um, upholding some ill-advised decisions? Anyway, episode 117, Get Off the Fence, You Cuck. So, did I get in early on the Dutch farmer protests or what? Huh? What do you mean you haven't seen much of it in your local papers? What do you mean you haven't seen? Sorry, that's bit early for a Dave Mustaine impersonation. I can do a mean Mr. Mustaine, though. Anyway. Um, what do you mean? You haven't seen that much of it in your local papers. Huh? Wonder who owns them, huh? Or maybe just that the young, useful idiots who are the minions of the World Economic Forum. Oh, I got it out of the gate there quick. Haven't deemed it really worthy of covering. Well, I jest. I jest. Anyway. What am I talking about? Um, I'm going to talk about an extension of the kind of things I was discussing last week. A little bit more of a look at politics, um, a few just regular, normal um, things and observations that inspired uh, the grey matter to have a little mull over some things such as cultural appropriation, um, hate speech, um, a few other things, you know, as they all begin somehow to coalesce in our future, in our kind of digital future. Um, there are dots that are slowly being connected by people 
Um, and more and more I get messages from people saying, oh, that thing you were discussing two years ago, that that seems like it could be a thing. Well, it may be a thing. Like I said, I'm not into absolutist of arguments. A 0% or a 100% is unrealistic. The truth is always somewhere in the grey area. But even if 20% of these things come true, so to speak, to just pluck a number out of thin air, then um, our democracy is in a little bit of trouble, my friends. 20% is a big, big shift. And haven't the civil servants been running amok for the last two years? Haven't their governmental um, quangos, boards, decision-making elements, haven't they been running amok for two years with their emergency powers? Anyway, so let's get into it. Let's dig ourselves a grave, my friends. Anyway, if you were following last week's podcast... I was on about central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, um, and the climate climate movement, among other things, and a sort of a vague poke in the ribs of crypto and what it means. And I got quite a few very interesting messages uh, from people who are advocates of crypto, who are trying to explain it to me as to why um, people who got into it only in the last year or two have all lost, and that you had to be into it right at the beginning, which begged the question of, um, well, why would anybody get into it now? Or does it just move in? Someone tried to explain to me it moves in four-year cycles, um, which I, again, found confusing. Um, So it sort of comes and moves with every president of the United States. Does it or doesn't it? I don't know. It's complicated. I might try and get somebody on to the um, podcast to do a a video cast and try and sort of explain it to me. Uh, Like I said, I began with the crypto uh, conversation by watching a cartoon that was basically made for kids that was trying to explain it to them. And that was a sort of good place to start. And then I built on that. So I do get some of it. But my question to many of those people was, how does this affect the day to day for your average, uh, your average person? Um, The question was, can I buy a loaf of bread in my city with crypto? That was a simple question. Um, If not, explain to me why not. If yes, then where? Um, And if not, could I? Because uh, when we consider things like the, um, the, you know, the food complications that might be coming our way, this might be the most practical application of crypto for your average person. I think what one of the problems is, is trying to disentangle or how should we say, unplug people who are very much in the know technologically to kind of bring them down to the um, level uh, that's required for explaining this to your layman, to your average person, to your average dummy in the street. And certainly I am the average dummy in the street when it comes to these things. Um, you know, this is a man who had to be explained what the difference between a meme and a gif was literally up until about two years ago. I also didn't realize that emo was short for emotional. So, I mean, what are you going to do? But the truth is in the gray area. It ain't the sexiest area and it ain't good for a protest sign. But what can you do? Um, You know, the kind of sign might say some of this is true, uh, like quite a bit, but not all. But you should be aware of it and ask some questions. But we aren't totally doomed. Um, You know, it's sort of hard to get all of that onto a sign or maybe just careful now down with that sort of thing. That would be good enough, I suppose. Anyway, just watch this space, because if you hear of the assets and bank accounts being frozen of people protesting a la Canada, Um, If this starts happening, then you may all worry a little bit more than the careful now sign suggests as farmers versus the, you know, the states that they live in or 
in brackets, the World Economic Forum, in brackets, the um, Green Agenda 2030, or whatever you want to call it, um, that battle, I feel, is coming to a city near you over the coming years as Europe pushes for 0% emissions and pushes hard against um, various elements of society, which include, um, in Ireland, of course, our dairy sector, our farming sector, which has also tradi- always traditionally been very powerful. But watch out as the, um, I think, the Dutch farming uh, escapade adventure um, that, that pitches up in your city. Like I said, watch this space and watch this space, how your government frames them and how your government treats them. Now, of course, as I keep stating, because people get so emotionally reactive to this, there is, of course, a climate discussion to be had. But overly or more and more, this doesn't seem much like a discussion anymore. As with many of the things we're told to comply with over the last five or ten years, um, it isn't really a discussion or a debate. And as I said last week, um, messing with the food chain doesn't always have great results. Um, despite the fact that in reality, this discussion needs to be, this discussion, where, as regards with climate, needs to be had in China. We need to be in Europe being told what the discussion debate is as we send our best and brightest over to deal with the CCP and their Uh, billions of people and how their uh, industrial economy is polluting the atmosphere, etc, etc. Like I stated before, Holland, really tiny Holland, a quarter the size of Ireland with about 12, 13 million people, but a quarter the size of Ireland. Okay, it has the second biggest dairy exports in the world, apparently, which I did not know. But um, it's a tiny place. What are its uh, um, nitrogen uh, emissions compared to India? for example. These are the questions that need to be asked. Industrial questions um, about the developing world. What you do in relation to these things in your suburban existence in the West is not really going to make a dent in this, so to speak. That is not to say, of course, we should not do our our best um, as regards all of this discussion, but there is a discussion and a debate to be had. And really this sort of inward-looking, rather insular Um, agenda that seems to be being forced upon the West um, needs to be disentangled or um, at least be observed from another angle. And that angle is looking behind the curtain and going, so to what authoritarian ends are you using this for? Mm -hmm, My friends, anyway, tiny little Holland. It's really as if the civil service and the governments, um, they have kind of no comprehension of the working class anymore, the things that they do the things that they have to do to put food on the table, but not only at the tables of these working class people, but all tables everywhere. Like I said, if there's no food on the shelves for three or four days, then even the pajama party might come out from behind their screens and go, hey, uh, that, you know, Uber Eats I ordered um, said, well, we don't have any whatever it is that you love, whatever mulch, whatever um, high porridge that, you know, kind of high carbon, <laughs> not high carbon, high energy porridge that you order, whatever sludge or mulch or soma that you order is not available anymore. Or when you pad around to the local shop and go, oh, there ain't very much on the shelves. Yeah, well, that's where it affects you a little bit more difficultly. Difficultly. Come on, April. Come on. Anyway, it's, um, it's as if... They do not realize that um, kind of, you know, sticking, as I said, jamming a a stick into the spokes of the food table or the food 
production process isn't going to or might not have disastrous consequences. Let them eat cake, my friends. Let them eat cake. Actually, apparently that's a mistranslation. Um, Mrs. Antoinette, Antoinette said, let them eat biscuit, which was a kind of uh, not a sweet biscuit, so to say. But anyway, isn't it strange how many monarchies and revolutionaries end up as biscuits, Bourbons, Garibaldis? Hmm. I robbed that from the young ones about 40 years ago. Anyway, anyway, watch this space and watch does the farmers' protest start to spread to other countries. It's also, for the record, um, not to be uh, too westernized about it, it's uh, um, all kicking off in Sri Lanka. Go and have a look about that. And then have a look at who's bought up and who owns most of the farmland in Sri Lanka. So to the first round of sponsors, they are Hate Couture, H-A-T-E-C-O-U-T-U-R-E 616.com forward slash. You can use the promo code A-L-A-N to get free shipping. This is hateful yet tasteful clothing, cool zip-ups, um, venerating serial killers and tyrants, inverted cross bottle openers, all sorts of super cool stuff that... I have no doubt will manage to offend somebody who is in your vicinity at some stage. And what is life but not to give offence? HateCouture616.com Also, MetalBlade.com um, You really do need those Cannibal Corpse back vinyl issues, don't you? In fact, I saw a second-hand butcher to birth today and it reminded me that my name is in the thanks list. Uh, actually, I, I'm after listed after Jason Newstead. Yes, there you go. Anyway, Butchered at Birth, you surely need that on vinyl. If you're in North America or Canada, um, go to metalblade.com, put in the promo code ALAN, and you can get 10% off that back order of Cannibal Corpse vinyls. You know you need to do it. So, we have a new hate speech proposal arriving in Ireland. Um, as usual, promoted by the, well, you know, I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and say, well-meaning, um, but then again, uh, we know many uh, authoritarian <laughs> ideas were served by well-meaning foot soldiers. But, well, maybe I'm giving them too much credit. Yeah, willing um, ideological foot soldiers marching towards our authoritarian future. Oh, come on, Alan. Well, of course, the implications for free speech are what should be the main thrust of the debate um, and aren't really given their side of the um, story in uh, our media. Um, this is, uh, you know, being promoted. Um, uh, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, is to bring forward a new hate crime and hate speech bill in the autumn, etc., etc. You can read about it. But what I find really interesting in it um, is that the lobby groups who were pushing for this, and it doesn't mention who they are, um, there is a test. The test will remain, it says, quite strict. To be guilty of hate speech, a perpetrator must intend to stir up hatred against a person on the grounds of one of the protected characteristics. Now, you can imagine what the protected characteristics are. I don't need to go through them for you. But what I find really interesting is it states, this is stricter than the test sought by some lobby groups during a public consultation on the legislation. I don't remember there being a public legis uh, consultation on the legislation. I don't remember being invited to any of this. But during the process, some groups argued to criminalise speech which is perceived by a victim as being motivated by hatred. I.e., it's how you interpret what somebody else says. It's not the intent uh, with which somebody says something, but it's how you interpret it. Now, this is an, an incredible 
um, concept and just let that sink in. That means that you can take pretty much anything anyone says and go, well, I deemed it hate speech. It means you can misunderstand the idea of a joke. You can say, well, I didn't really find it funny. I found it hateful. And a comedian could go, well, that wasn't the intention. It's a joke. And you can go, well, I say it wasn't. Even though um, you are just, how should we say, the recipient. You are just, it's it's up to um, you to interpret what somebody else meant. So basically you are, uh, they, these lobby groups were demanding that they uh, own the intent, the concept of intent. They are, uh, they, it's their, they wanted to basically, basically climb inside your little wee skull, have a root around and go, well, actually you didn't mean what you meant. We decide what you meant. And um, we, in this case, are going to give all the power to the victim, the victim. And I put that in parenthesis. I'm making little rabbit ears as I say this, it, which is incredible. It's absolutely incredible that you could think that this was anything under other than one of the most um, intellectually redundant concepts. Basically, it states that, um, as I said, that intent, nuance, context doesn't matter. Only the perception. I think about that. Let that sink in for a second. Thankfully, um, thankfully, the government kind of went, I'm not sure about that. Um, and so they feared that this would lead to an overly subjective taste, test for hate speech. Yeah, exactly. Of course it would be. Um, it means that you decide, um, you know, you might decide, I really don't like um, Jim uh, round the corner who runs his who runs his small little radio station, maybe a local radio station, and he had a conservative guest on, for example. I found their views, their religious views to be uh, hateful. Uh, I found it not placing any um, emphasis on how it was meant when it was said, or whatever else. And you could just basically use this as a battering ram to um, just expunge all your grudges, all the people that you would personally would like to get up against the wall and have cancelled. Anyway, thankfully, the government kind of went, mm, maybe not. The Department of Justice has previously said that legislation will contain robust safeguards for freedom of expression. <laughs> well such as protections for reasonable and genuine contributions to literary, artistic, political, scientific or academic discourse and fair and accurate reporting. Literary and artistic. So was the intention there when they, because they've mentioned that, that they were somehow going to go after these lobby groups uh, intended to uh, go after art they deemed uh, hateful. Hey, heavy metal, we got your number. Well, certainly if this is the 1980s when heavy metal was relevant in any way other than to be um, a little nostalgic motif in Stranger Things, certainly, um, or the 1990s, they might have your number. And that's really quite scary when you think about literary, literary books. We're going back to, uh, you know, the, the, these lobby groups, if they had their way, banning the Bernard Shaw's of this word world or... Many, most people don't realize this, but Ireland had a long list of banned books in the 20th century. That's where we want to go to. Remember, my friends, who burnt the books, indeed. Well, scientific and academic discourse. Well, what does that mean? What, were the, what was their intention of, of um, you know, if you say that um, people are allowed to have scientific expression? Are we talking, of course about the modern gender debate and the fact that maybe these lobby groups wanted to shut down, stem. Well, anyway, the criminal justice 
Incitement to Violence or Hatred and Hate Crime Bill is currently at the final drafting stage in the Attorney General's office uh, and is scheduled to be introduced in the autumn when completed. Um, sources say it will be a priority issue for Mrs. McEntee in the autumn term and is hoped it will be on the... Hoped! We hope it's on the statute books by next year. Um, and, you know, I have an awful lot of things to say about this. And, of course, if you've been following the podcast... But there seems to be little, in all the stories I've read about, there seems to be a little debate or um, there's not much comment from the opposition to this. Um, this is how all of these debates are framed. Um, these uh, Is that anybody who has a question, um, these, these kind of debates are framed in such a way, so is anybody who has uh, a question or anybody wants to debate it or um, really, as I said, um, consider the uh, moral cultural, social, political implications of exactly what I just said, um, then you are cowed into submission because most people are scared and they don't want to appear as a as an ismist or phobiaist. I'm not going to list them. You know what I'm talking about. And this is how all of these debates are framed. Um, how could you, for example, have questions about climate? Do you want the planet to die? How could you question the efficacy of lockdown? Do you want your grandmother to die? Do you want my grandmother to die? How can you question our fight against um, all of the isms and ists you can imagine? Um, surely you don't, surely you aren't against any of those things. Um, surely you are not a bigot, a fascist, a racist, a bad person. Surely you aren't evil. Remember I talked before about the binary choices, the emotionally binary choices these debates offer you framed as a battle between good and evil when they're clearly not that that's just an intellectual cul-de-sac that means absolutely nothing but they've been perfectly crafted to manipulate us emotionally and make opposing it or even questioning it kind of impossible for some people because they're so afraid of the pushback besides which who decides what is hate speech the same political set who for example call protesters against everything from vaccine mandates uh, to free speech to whatever, as fascists. Um, what could that fundamentally mean? Let's just follow a train of thought. Uh, maybe the farmer protest spreads to Ireland and our Taoiseach, our dear leader, comes out telling the media the protesters are anti-democratic. They're, they're against, um, our, you know, they're against the climate. Um, well, let's just say they're against the climate. They don't care about your kid's future. They're horrible climate deniers. That's going to be start to be used soon. So then, let's say you disagree with what... Um, let's say you disagree with what the Taoiseach says. Maybe your cousin's a farmer from somewhere in the Midlands, and you go, I don't really agree with that. Um, and that's not really what they're saying. And so you support the farmers. Maybe you start a Facebook group um, so you can talk with other people who kind of disagree with the government's line. And maybe that Facebook group gets reported. Is this then hate speech because you are siding with the climate deniers? Um, is this where it goes? Is that hate speech? I don't know. But you can see very easily how the dots can be connected by state and government in an undemocratic way in order to shut down dissent. And now connect that to a bit about what we were talking about last week, or rather I was talking about or waffling about, whatever what you want to say. Connect that and the concept of hate speech. Now collect, connect that to the digital currency, the CBDC. I am paid to you by the state, potentially, that comes with restrictions, that comes with caveats and parameters to what you can spend it on. 
maybe, just maybe, one of those um, one of those restrictions is uh, a hate speech strike against you. Um, maybe it's a three-strike rule. Maybe it's a one-strike rule, a fine. Speak out against something the state is imposing upon you, um, and it is deemed hate speech. After all, do you want the planet to die? Do you hate the planet? We hate this planet! What lyric is that? Answers below, and you win a prize. Maybe, just maybe, you're a concerned parent who is a bit worried about the things your kids are being taught. Maybe you don't wish your small children to be taught adult um, sexual morals or adult sexual issues, adult sexual problems. Maybe you have a religious objection to this or that or the other. Well, maybe the government would like to paint you as a hate speech um, protagonist. Maybe they've decided, well, that sounds a bit like a hate crime to me. Again, who decides these things? You can see where this may lead, right? Or it might not. The truth, again, as always, as I say, is in the grey area. Um, and even if 10, 15, 20% of the things like these get passed, it's the slow erosion of liberties, the slow erosion of freedoms, the slow erosion of democracy and the fundamental pillars of our um, civilization that these, these, they slowly crumble and they're taken bit by bit. And then all of a sudden, in 10, 15, 20 years, because people were inactive about discussing these things or mentioning them now because they were so scared, your children end up reaping, um, really reaping some very dark rewards because people are just so scared into um, speaking out and going, um, I don't really understand that. Or is that does that really make sense? Or isn't that subjective, for example? Um, and what? You want to leave um, the... The idea of context, nuance, or intent out of every discussion as regards who does or does not hate something. It's a subjective thing, my friends, which you cannot legislate for because it does not exist. What we're discussing is the legislation of feeling. How you feel about something somebody said. Um, we're trying to legislate feelings, essentially. And this is just, as I said, an, um, an illogical intellectual cul-de-sac. But to grant governments the right to decide your intent when you post something, when you tweet something, and as I talked about before with the bill passed in the Scottish Parliament, um, speech in your own home, as let's be honest, all your machines are listening to you anyway and could quite easily report upon you. Um, they can be deemed hate speech. Do you see where this is going? It's positively Orwellian. And let's be clear, if we are heading for an AOR form of metaverse um, where kids are being remotely educated via the goggles, I kid you not. And who knows, we've all seen instances of, of people being implanted with this and that and the other. Oh, come on, Alan. Yeah, I know. I know. But I got to mention it. I got to mention it. Then let's be clear, um, Miss Minister for Justice. The next step from hate speech is, of course, thought crime. That is the logical step. So... Maybe you might be uh, Miss Minister for Justice, maybe sitting around in 15 or 20 years wondering to herself, what the fuck did I do because people are being imprisoned for thought crime? Oh, Alan, come on, stop being so hyperbolic. Who knows? Maybe I'll be dead by then and have left a beautiful corpse behind. But you'll have all my um, 849 episodes of podcast to mull over and write on my tombstone how damn right I was about these things, or piss on my grave, one or the other, whichever seems more apt to you. I mean, look, the podcast is called Agitators Anonymous, right? It's not called Asher, it'll be grand. So it's at this moment I'm going to do the uh, next 
Ad Read, the next sponsor, so to speak. And that is a young Irish band, a new Irish band called Strangers with Guns. They have a new album called All Pleasure is Just Relief. Um, they're mentioning bands like The Melvins, big name, pulling it out of top draw right there. Rollins Band, all that kind of thing. To me, it has elements of uh, therapy, actually. A band who I saw uh, in the White Horse Inn, maybe 89 or 90. Um, baby teeth, all that kind of thing. It's got a sort of particularly Irish quality to it. I know that um, looking at the, I guess, the stats of listenership, shall we say, nation to nation to nation, I can see that Ireland is usually at the top of the uh, people who listen to me. It's got to be a hate listen, hasn't it, my friends? Well, listen, Stranger with, Strangers with Guns, like I said, this new EP that they have. Um, you're probably going to hear a little bit underneath what I'm talking about, but there's going to be links underneath. So go and check them out. Follow the links. Have a little listen and support an up-and-coming Irish band. And if you're sitting there thinking, Avril, what the fuck are you doing? taking ad reads from bands well of course needs must when the devil farts in your face and lately he has been uh, sitting on my face demanding well we well, let's not get into that but if you're also in a band and you're or a label and you're out there thinking oh, maybe that might be an interesting way to try and promote our release well slide into my DMs because I do have a relatively captive audience of well untold minions and there you go their album is uh, out today on Bandcamp. So, have a little look in the links underneath. You'll see them um, beside all the usual links to the sponsors. And if you're on YouTube, then you'll see it in the description. All right, let's get back to the misery. Let's get back to the... Let's get back to the old man shouts at Cloud's narrative. Um, but let me be clear. Um, in my opinion, there is no such thing as hate speech. It's Speech is subjective. There's only speech. And there is speech you disagree with. And there are speech you agree with. Um, and listen, if you disagree with some of the most, um, you know, foul or, you know, really, really disagreeable speech, well then, as they say, the best disinfected for, let's call it bad speech, uh, which we find disagreeable with, we find disagreeable with, is sunlight. Is to allow it out into the open air, um, allow it to be aired and then opposed and debated and shown clearly to be the uh, nonsense that it is. That's how you deal with um, bad ideas, basically, is to allow them out. And also, there's something very, um, there's something else behind all of this that I think um, really needs to be said. And that is the idea that we need the state to define speech for us and tell us what is and isn't hate speech is a form of intellectual colonialism, in my opinion, and a concept that is born from an intellectual cul-de-sac that wants to perform the most dangerous act of virtual signaling that there really is. Free speech is the cornerstone of not only democracy, but our civilization. But of course, if you want to dismantle both, then that kind of doesn't matter to you. On the one hand, governments and unelected technocrats across the world, they really enjoyed the moment of granting themselves emergency powers. They don't really want to ask the pesky public anymore. So moves like this to erode the concept of democracy, um, they applaud from the sidelines. And on the other, and on the other hand, um, we have the useful idiots of the sort of woke ideology who seem unwitting to the fact that 
uh, they are actually doing these unelected bodies bidding, doing their bidding, doing their dirty work by wanting to burn down the house that they live in. Of course, sure, the house ain't perfect. There's no doubt about that. Civilization is um, a process that goes back thousands of years and it's, you know, it's not perfect by any means and as many, you know, terrible stains on its history across all, um, across all nations and states. But, and not everyone, of course, has access to that, uh, to said house. But that is an ongoing dialogue. But without a doubt, those advocating against free speech on the grounds of it being harmful um, and just want to burn the house down and see this as a means to an end, um, it's a kind of cultural Maoism light, a sort of, you know, um, well-meaning um, version of good intentions. Uh, but underneath is actually something far different. How can we say a wolf in sheep's clothing or something like this? Um, but be careful what you wish for if you're if you're sitting there thinking I sound like an idiot or um, that you you know really oppose what I'm saying. That's fine. That's of course you're right. That's exactly what free speech is about. Um, but you know people who wish to have you cancelled or shut down, they should be careful what they wish for. It's a decision, and what is and what is not hateful speech won't rest with you and your ideology, no matter which side of the fence you sit upon. Um, and like I stated at the start, the the um, act of sitting on the fence means I think I can see both sides of the fence a little bit more clearly than maybe if you're standing on either side of it. But if you're worried about what kids have access to, yes, you're right. But maybe become better parents. Teach kids how to understand the technology. Um or rather teach parents how to understand the technology their kids have in their hands and how they can play a more significant role in their kids' lives uh, instead, of handing, instead of handing this over to the state or handing this over to um, technology. Oh, did I say I was going to talk about heavy metal? Yeah. Uh, no, I'm not sure I did, actually. Did you see that Metallica on Stranger Things show? Oh, I mean, kind of cool, but didn't it also confirm how metal is viewed now? As nostalgia. Something firmly belonging in the past. Kind of like me, you're out there saying. Yeah, I guess I would agree with you. So I might as well slay two sacred cows with one stone or one ill-advised podcast. Sure, sure. So finally, after several years, I got around to what is without doubt the best podcast I've ever heard. Uh, West Cork, which is about the tragic murder of a young French woman, Sophie, Sophie Duplantier. Um in West Cork, a rugged and sort of isolated area of Ireland that for decades has attracted mainly English, but also French and German um, outsiders, I suppose, who wanted to retreat, disappear and reinvent themselves in the wilds of West Cork. Now, there's enough podcasts devoted to true crime and no doubt there's a, a reaction podcast to West Cork. You don't really need me to get into it, but just Google, uh, just have a look in your podcast provider for West Cork. Yeah, it's great. The podcast follows this insufferable fool of an Englishman filled with hubris and braggadocio who has been accused but never convicted of her murder. And it is drawn out over 14 episodes. They have amazing access to all the people involved in the story. It's pure gold, but at least a dozen times the phrase cultural appropriation came up in this discussion. And it sort of made me think about that. What did it mean in this context? It seemed to mean a boozed-up Englishman decided he was a mystic, a pagan poet, um, with staff and robe, reciting verse in the pub, reciting verse where anyone would listen, flitting from cliché to cliché, adopting elements of what is romantically associated with being Irish. 
And what did the locals largely do? They largely ignored him, shrugged their shoulders, called him a fool, rolled their eyes, um, which is kind of, I think, what you should do to any level of cultural appropriation if you believe in such a thing that it may um, slightly get under your skin. But, well, they did do that until uh, they were pretty sure that he murdered someone who was in the midst of their um, their local community. Anyway, up until that point, he, like many other outsiders to the area, were tolerated and mostly accepted. I mean, pretty much accepted. Um, they just added a little bit more spice to the area and Irish people got on with their business. Um, like I said, sort of went Ugh, and shrugged their shoulders. But it made me think about the emptiness of the phrase cultural appropriation. Now, I've chosen an egregious case to illustrate my point. But, you know, it did kickstart the grey matter into considering about it, to thinking about it. Um, you know, but what of the... What of the middle-aged woman who wants to head to West Cork to sell her Celtic New Age accoutrement in the local market? Is this cultural appropriation? And why do Irish people make literally no fuss about it? Um, well, obviously, because I think they have a better, um, they have in general better sense as the concept itself is totally illogical. The idea that um, the idea that different cultures throughout history didn't overlap, trade, take from one place to the other, uh, spices, food, um, people didn't travel across borders, bring language. It's a sort of daft misreading of our past. But the idea that it should not be allowed now or should be judged in this way is again itself, in my f opinion, a form of paternalistic intellectual colonialism. Um, and that's what, you know, sort of connects the last two uh, sentiments or concepts. So, middle-aged woman in the rainy northeast of the United States can't open a taco truck uh, for fear of the local wokest saying she's culturally appropriating Mexican culture. But did anyone actually ask Mexicans what they felt about this? People eating their food, appreciating their food, um, putting money into their uh, economy. Um, and if all this is true, you know, if if the people who believe in cultural appropriation are right, then can I claim that if you've celebrated St. Patrick's Day even once and you aren't Irish or a direct descendant, that you've culturally appropriated me? Oh, Alan, that's not how it works. It's about punching down culturally. We're talking about historically oppressed cultures and blah, blah, that's where your argument falls down. Do you need an Irish history lesson? Don't make me go there. As you will be hard pushed to find a nation on earth who historically has experienced more in the way of famine, emigration, hardship, colonialism, empire, civil war, poverty. Need I go on? But a, well, uh, mm, uh, explain a bit of Irish history to somebody who, you know, believes in these concepts and they have literally no leg to stand on. And that's usually because they don't really understand Irish history. And they've decided that all, um, all European history, oh, well, it's all kind of the same thing, isn't it? Um, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's white people stuff. Hmm. Inherited guilt. Inherited guilt. Well, this is, of course, in itself, as I said, another intellectual cul-de-sac. And what does that actually mean? It means that you, um, who have, you know, it means you basically inherit um, the actions, the deeds or the misdeeds of people you have uh, who are from another time, who you have no connection to other than maybe your ethnicity. But even that's pretty tenuous. Um, I said I might as well try and slay three sacred cows all in the one podcast, all in the one podcast. How does it even make sense? Um, this is, of course, in itself, as I said, another intellectual cul-de-sac. The idea that people who looked vaguely like you um, and what they did in the past um, 
that you have somehow some connection to. You're not related to them, um, but you somehow have to sort of answer for them or be judged for their actions. How does that even make sense intellectually or logically? It doesn't. My grandfather fought the Nazis in World War II, but by this logic, I should be apologizing for the deeds of the people he was fighting or on the other side of the same logical of their you know of the cultural appropriation coin shouldn't i be running around claiming his experience entirely as my own uh i it's quite confusing it's a nonsense of course how can we um how can we any person of any um background um answer for the deeds of someone from 1800 or 1700 or 1900 Somewhere in all our family trees, no doubt, is a murderer, perhaps a rapist, um, perhaps many things. The concept of inherited guilt would mean you technically should inherit all of those things, shouldn't you, or should you? That said, in some countries you can inherit your parents' debt, so... Eh. But what these, ideas, what these ideas do is place all European countries, and that's, I think, pretty much the surge of these ideas, their history and your ancestors, if this is where you come from, as a blank slate for someone else to mark upon it and say, well, this is how I feel about whatever um, interpretation of your history I have or haven't really looked into, comes back to, again, the, um, the lobby groups uh, discussing the hate speech ideas, right? Hey, we want to interpret what you meant by something um, devoid of context or nuance. And they kind of this is kind of some part of the same um, argument for me in the sense that somebody else wants to go, oh, Irish people, well, well whatever your history is, it's kind of unimportant to me. Um, I think you look like Hungarians who look like Finnish people who look like um, whoever else, Austrians. And so therefore, all of your histories and all of your, um, you know, your historical, cultural differences, eh, eh are kind of annoying to me. So let's just call them all the same thing. You're all a blank slate for we, for which, upon which I can make my mark on. It states the experience of Finns in 1870 is no different to Italians. Uh, they're all white, they're all privileged, so therefore they all have the same history. Uh, both ideas are just born of a form of emotional anti-intellectualism, a sort of infantilism, that you of course realise is designed to be a blunt instrument to hammer society into a new shape. Um, if you have such a hammer, then everything seems like a nail, right? Uh, like I said, let's be clear, I apply this across the board. Saying the experience of a Senegalese history is the same as those from Upper Volta um, in 1810 is, of course, incorrect. Upper Volta, what a killer name for a band, uh, a doomed sludge band. You can have that, by the way. It doesn't make sense. Korean history is not Japanese. Asian privilege, what does that even mean? Um, the idea that you can reduce any history, uh, any um, any background to some collectivist experience that everyone is just part of and to blame for is not only dangerous, dangerous, but there's no logic or reason behind it. And that sort of brings me back around to all of the things that I've been talking about today. And when my friend said to me, ah, cook, get off the fence. And I was thinking to myself, we are discussing all of these things. And he said, why don't you, why don't you wade into the waters of some of these things? Listen, the waters aren't that deep. What I'm merely stating is that um, you know, the idea of uh, legislating the subjective doesn't make any sense. The idea of legislating emotional reactions to things without context or nuance doesn't make any sense. But we shouldn't be mired in um, the kind of forms of anti-intellectualism, anti the forms of infantilism that are existing in society where we're supposed to not take into account history, culture, um, 
nuance. Um, everything is supposed to be an emotional, absolutist reaction. A zero to a hundred percent and nothing in between. It's either black or it's white. There is no grey area. But the truth, of course, lies in that grey area. Well, my friends, I'm still sitting on the fence. Um, but there you go. Episode 117. If you've got this far, good for you. If it was a hate listen, good for you. That's what free speech is for, my friends. And this podcast has always been dedicated to the idea that civil liberties and free speech are the most important thing. And I won't alter that anyway. Anyway. Well, that is at least until they uh, restrict all my digital currency. Anyway, crypto to death, my friends. Episode 117. Until next time, I'm Alan Averill. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.